What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. of wrestling brought to you today by our new partner figures toy company figures toy company is revolutionizing the wrestling figure industry by creating collectible action figures of the hottest talent in the industry today as well as paying homage to the legends of the past the fully posable six inch figures are compatible with modern wrestling figures from other companies and feature intricate designs and realistic clothing accessories the rising stars of wrestling and the legends of professional wrestling figure lines are available at figurestoycompany.com as well as wrestlingsuperstore.com. And we've got a lot of amazing, amazing promotions coming your way very soon, courtesy of Figures Toy Company. So stay tuned to the two-man power trip of wrestling and the Triple Threat Podcast for more on this partnership where the sky is the limit, and we are going to get rolling into it right now. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And John, today on the show, we are welcoming in not just a guest, but a beast, as we welcome former New Japan Pro Wrestling IWGP World Champion, 
Big Bob Sapp in an interview that I got to tell you something, very surprised you're able to get this together as fast as you did. But if you know anything about the two-man power trip of wrestling, you know that when the call comes in, you got to run, you got to set the stuff up, you got to get it ready and get it recorded. And John, you got to sit down here with Bob Sapp and have a, uh, a pretty interesting conversation, which we're going to hear all about here in a couple of minutes. But if you don't know about Bob Sapp, go educate yourself. He's a crossover star. He's obviously a huge name in the MMA world, but he's also had a hell of a wrestling career. And, you know, that's a lot of the focus. But, you know, when John gets into it, we learn a lot about the fighters and what they do to prepare themselves for the career fighting as well as being in professional wrestling. So, John, as I welcome you in here now, I don't want to butcher anything on what you talked about. So give us a little bit of a rundown of what we have to look forward here in this conversation with uh, Bob Sapp, which, uh, hey, I'm glad to see you survived. Oh, yeah, the beast. Bob Sapp, man. He, he was such a joy to talk to. So much fun. I had a blast. With him and his career, there's so many different elements and so many different storylines and so many different things to cover. He's obviously a huge, huge megastar in Japan. Has been for a long time, since about 2002, when he kind of burst on the scene there. He just took it to another level and became one of those guys that's like, holy shit, who is this guy? I mean, he really took over Japan for a while dominated with K1, beat Ernesto Hoost a few times, who is a huge, huge kickboxing legend. Then in the MMA world, had a couple wins, went after the Pride World Championship against Antonio Rodrigo Nogueiro, and arguably could have won that match. I feel like he, and we talk about it in the interview, he took it a little easy, slammed him. I guess he thought he hurt him. You know, he, he could have went for the kill. He kind of didn't, and he ends up getting submitted. But basically, Nogueiro at that point was the greatest MMA fighter in the game pretty much heavyweight division-wise, up until, obviously, Fedor kind of knocked him off the perch a little bit later. But at that point, when Bob Sapp was fighting him, he was the number one dog. He was the big dog. And Sapp almost uh, defeated him, almost knocked him off, almost became the pride heavyweight world champion, which would have been amazing. And obviously, I just talked about he knocked off Hoost. And then, of course, you go on to New Japan Pro Wrestling. He was the IWGP world champion. He took over the pro wrestling world, became such a huge star there as well. So, I mean, this guy, kickboxing, MMA, he did some sumo wrestling. He did some, obviously, pro wrestling. This was all over the place and kind of took over the world. And we do cover some other great topics, like uh, there was a domestic violence case, and that if you look into it, it was pretty much a sham and, and pretty r ridiculous. But uh, Bloody Elbow, who's a pretty good MMA site, actually covered it as if it was a real thing. So, I mean, there, there was some uh, controversy around, uh, surrounding him for a bit of time there, but you know, we kind of laughed that off and, and we prove that to be a complete farce. Um, some other little bit of stories, obviously he's going to be making an MMA return pretty soon. Uh, I would just look out for him in Japan, Turkey, Italy, obviously he's got a couple fights and we do talk about the whole misconception of him and the whole quote unquote money fighter that he has become and how certain places, you know, he may fight harder than others or quote unquote, he might not really care. Uh, to fight certain places, but he'll do it for the money if, if the money's right. So we do get to, into all that, the misconceptions, the controversies, all that fun stuff. But all in all, I got to say, this is a really, really fun interview for me. I love Bob Sapp. I love those just big, giant, charismatic guys that when they walk in the room, you just know he's somebody, he's important, he's got the get factor. Just love the beast because he's such a big figure in not only pro wrestling, but MMA and kickboxing as well. 
Yeah, he's an absolute monster of a man. And, and obviously, if you've seen him uh, wrestling in Japan or you've seen him fighting, you've also seen him on the big screen, uh, very famously in The Longest Yard, uh, which, you know, it shows the acting chops, but it just shows all the different things he could do. But not to mention that he also, he played professional football. He was drafted by the Bears. He played for the Vikings. So this is somebody who's really gone across multiple channels and done so much in his career. But, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about the career of Bob Sapp is, you know, when you look at the fact that he was trained at the WCW power plant, the WWE purchases WCW. Now, was he in the power plant at the time of the WWE purchase of WCW? And also, when he was kind of being approached by WWE to be signed, it was blocked by K1. So those are two of the things that I kind of wanted to get your take on before we uh, we kind of wrap it up and move forward to the interviewer. You know, one, the power plant, and two, why uh, could WWE not really get it done with bringing him in? Yes, he was in the power plant at the time, and if anyone has seen it, he did make a brief appearance during the end of WCW. Him and Sam Greco, who's another really famous kickboxer, had some MMA fights as well, who you know dabbled in the, the pro wrestling world. They both were in the power plant. They both made appearances toward the end of WCW, basically saying, like, these two legitimate guys, and obviously one of them is gigantic, and, you know, just, just a mountain of a man, are going to be in WCW soon. Then WCW ends. So WWF could have had him. They could have added him, but the money wasn't there. They didn't offer him enough money. Obviously, where the money goes is where he will go. So basically, they could have had him. There was some talks, and he ended up with K1 as well. And then throughout the years, there's some talks as well. But you know, as he says in the interview, which is a great point, why would you kind of give up something good to go to a question mark? And you know, Vince is all about, oh, I'll give you the opportunity of making a lot of money. Well, K1 basically said, we're going to give you a ton of money. So it was very, very smart of him to stay where he was in K1 in Japan. Then obviously fighting for pride, fighting you know, a bunch of MMA, K1, the MMA version as well, and even fighting for New Japan Pro Wrestling, All Japan Pro Wrestling. I mean, he was kind of just a huge celebrity, a huge star over there. So there's really no need to go to the WWF if the money wasn't going to match Japan. And obviously... It didn't come close. And here we are. Look at it in 2018 where that's now the big conversation uh, amongst the wrestling circles. Do you leave Japan to go to WWE when you are kind of making that unbelievable money? But with WWE being the only game in town in the States, it's really uh, it's a tough uh, it's a tough call. And we see a couple guys who are kind of going through this same exact conversation uh, as we speak right now, do they stay with Japan? Do they kind of try uh, the States and come back to uh, the WWE here? So uh, we'll see how that develops, but it looks like it's always been something that's out there. Now, before we get into the uh, the wrap-up here, John, I'm going to put you on the spot. We can't necessarily send you down the WWE network path for a match recommendation, but if you can send somebody to kind of go out of their way to find a match or a fight of, of Bob Sapp, where would you send them and what would it be? Well, you can go to New Japan World, if ever, if, and I think everyone should get New Japan World. There's so much good stuff on there, and they've made it a lot easier to toggle through it. So on the top of the page, you'll see Japanese, and obviously when you look, go to it, it'll be in Japanese. But then right under it, it'll say English. So you could literally, and this is what I would do, I would literally just go to New Japan World. All you got to do is type in uh, Bob Sapp, and you'll get some great stuff. You know, you'll probably get uh, his debut match against Nakanishi. Um, you'll get when he beats Kensuke Sasaki for the IWGP title. 
You'll get him beating Shinsuke Nakamura in his one title defense of the IWGP title. So, I mean, I would just go to New Japan World, go to the English version, of course, unless you speak Japanese. I mean, that's on you. If you do, that's great. But uh, type in Bob Sapp and then basically look up uh, a couple good matches. I would definitely go for uh, uh, Kensuke Sasaki where he wins the IWGB title, or when he defeats Shinsuke Nakamura in a, a title match, uh, a.k.a. A title defense. So that is New Japan World. Go to the English version and just type in Bob Sapp. You'll get a lot of good stuff from uh, the great Gaijin World IWGP champion. He dominated in Japan. He literally was a, a giant person, but he was also a giant star in Japan. He did commercials. He did television programs. He even recorded a, uh, a CD, which, of course, you know, that is like uh, an absolute must when you're a, a gaijin over in Japan. Obviously, we know the Hulkster uh, they cut an album in the early 1980s. So you know how much they loved him over there in Japan. You're going to get to hear all about it in today's episode. So as we get to wrap it up here, we want to remind you today's episode is brought to you by our brand new partner, Figures Toy Company. And like I said at the top, they're revolutionizing the wrestling figure industry. To name just a few, they've got over 30 different wrestling stars available at figurestoycompany.com. To include New Japan Pro Wrestling star Tama Tonga, as well as Sammy Callahan, Chris Hero, Joey Ryan, as well as legends Jerry Lynn, Jim Cornette, and of course, our tag team partner on the Triple Threat Podcast, the franchise Shane Douglas. So head on over to figurestoycompany.com as well as wrestlingsuperstore.com. Get all the information on the upcoming releases, which include Cole Cabana, Jeff Cobb, Conan, and our personal favorite, the Queen of Extreme, Francine. There's so many more opportunities that'll be coming here in the coming weeks to hear more about our relationship with Figures Toy Company. So stay locked in to both shows as we roll this fantastic Partnership out with Figures Toy Company and get over to figurestoycompany.com and see the rest of the brands that they've got. They've got DC Comics, they've got Kiss, they've got the Monkees, John, they even have the Three Stooges. So head on over to Figures Toy Company and explore and enjoy the amazing figures that they've got in there and their giant inventory. So as we wrap it up here now, why don't we do this? Let's hit them with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and let's get it on over to the beast, Bob Sapp. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, TMPTofWrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. 
And now, without any further ado, he's a pro wrestler, an MMA fighter, a kickboxer, an actor. He was a K-1 kickboxing Grand Prix winner. He's a former New Japan Pro Wrestling IWGP World Champion. You may know him as The Beast. He is Bob Sass. Enjoy. Turning into the beast. That's right. Channel 81 on your FM dial. And I want you just to take your head and turn the volume real, real loud. I don't want to have to beat you up. One, two, three. Japan Pro Wrestling, IWGP World Champion, a former K1 Kickboxing Grand Prix winner, 2003 No Hold Barred Fighter of the Year. He's a wrestler, an MMA fighter, a kickboxer, an actor. He does it all. He is the beast. Bob Sapp. Bob Sapp, welcome to the two-man power trip. Oh, well, thank you very much. And you, you said it right, but it's Bob the beast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Now, obviously, with you, you're always super busy. Your schedule's always full. You always got so much going on. So, what is going on in the world of Bob Sapp right now? I know you're training, so you're training, and obviously, you got some fights coming up. But what what's going on in the world of the beast? Well, the world of the beast is we've we've had some pretty crazy shockers recently. You know, we've had everything that stems from uh, domestic violence abuse allegations to trading for professional wrestling to even getting kidnapped and extortioned and worldwide. Well, did I add, I almost got eaten by a grizzly bear as well. (laughs) (laughs) So much crazy stuff going on. I I just want to first talk about what you you briefly mentioned there, you know, the the kidnapping, the extortion. What was, what was going on with, with all that over there in the crazy world of Uganda? Well, you know, I actually I went in there for a humanitarian mission. I, I went there to uh, give uh, some water filters to some kids. This was my second time. So the first time I did so, I, I reached, uh, I think, about 5,000. And this time I went there to reach in, uh, some 20,000 kids for clean water. And I got so popular, the hotel that I stayed at, which was called Lake Victoria Serena Golf and Resort, that hotel that I said, the five-star hotel, they decided to commit extortion and fraud on my card. Oh, it's so so nasty. And uh, they actually took uh, my colleague out of there uh, without uh, against her permission. And she's from Guatemala. So it ended up being a real big, big, big mess. We're still in the big mess. And um, why? Well, that's very simple. Um, I, I did write this review on TripAdvisor about my experience at that hotel. And then the hotel decided to say they're going to sue me and my colleagues. Huh. Absolutely amazing. They're suing me 
for the TripAdvisor reviews that are posted that are no even mine. <laughs> hmm. so, so it's really bizarre, but um, you know, unfortunately, that that's you know what, what can happen. And and I'm very happy because I did have a, a my camera with me, so uh, or my phone which had the camera on there. So I audio recorded it. I video recorded it. I uh, uh, got them on 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 every single way. You know what I mean? So I mean because before I started to get it on camera. I actually put it on the audio record, and they still were doing nothing when um, my uh, colleague was sick. So uh, I, I got them all down, and for those that think, well, hey, that's Uganda, that's a, a fourth world country, all of these things, well, no, that's a five-star resort hotel. And, you know, when you go to a, these places, when you go to a hotel, you know, it's known for the, for looking at the swimming pool. It's for the security and the privacy. And when whenever you go to a five-star lo- luxury hotel in any country, I think that there's some standards that they need to be held to, no matter where it's at. That is true, and I think uh, on a, a more positive note about your trip over Uganda, obviously not talking about the extortion, the kidnapping, all that footage you have of that, that nasty thing that goes on at that hotel, but I noticed how over you were and how the people there and the children, they absolutely love you. You're, you know, you're, you're a folk hero, you're a legend to them. What was that kind of like with those kids? Obviously, you doing a, a lot of benefit with those water filters and stuff for those children. Oh, that was it was amazing. I can tell you, you know. So what they did is they started this whole chant about King Bob Sap, King Bob Sap, and you can see that, and you know, we're we're putting that online now. And but it's it's really amazing to see those kids uh, uh, grasp onto that. And I was, you know, hey, that's also the first time they were able to get some clean water. And that thousands and thousands of kids that you see there um, that I'm that I'm helping. So it's it's really remarkable. Now you do have a, a, a GoFundMe page, and you're obviously you're raising some money. You do a lot of charity work. You do a lot of stuff with kids. Just briefly, just talk about the, the GoFundMe and kind of what you're doing to raise some money. Obviously, the Die for Cause. Die for Cause. Uh, you, what we're wanting to do is raise some money so that we can build a tower that's 100 feet tall that's very similar to what you've seen in the Pentecost Island, and I'm going to jump off, dive off into nothing but dirt. So just like the Pentecost Island, I'm going to do that That's to bring the attention and awareness with these proceeds, what's very unique, these proceeds are going everywhere from um, the kidnapping and the the victims of the volcanic earthquake uh, in Guatemala. Um, that's because we would like to bring this event to Guatemala. Now, some of these events have some little side events that go with it, and some of which is called the, the first Grand Prix, paraplegic Grand Prix. And that's going to be in honor of my great friend, uh, Takayama, who was a pro wrestler in, in Japan, and many of you guys know him from, he fought Don Fry, and he had no fear. He went out there and just got blasted in his face, and him and Don Fry just kept punching each other in the face when he fought for pride, to those guys when they fought for pride. Unfortunately, he, uh, Takayama attempted a sunset flip, and now he's paralyzed for life. So what, what, what I'm doing is put together a paraplegic Grand Prix to where, you know, they paint all with their mouths, and, you know, we just get in the weird. We're going to see who, who makes the best painting. Is it going to be Takayama? Is it going to be somebody from America? Is it going to be 
somebody from Guatemala. There's going to be somebody around the world who has that, you know, the, the best artist who can really uh, compete. Now, Takayama, huge legend, obviously, a former champion many times over in Japan. Obviously, you mentioned that great fight in Pride with Don Fry. But yes. before I kind of get into you in Pride and you in MMA world and even in pro wrestling, I just want to mention, because you mentioned it briefly, that domestic violence case, and it seems a little wacky when you look at it, but there was actually coverage from the rags in Japan and then a few, like, Bloody Elbow and a few random places here in the States picked up on it. Well, what's the true story behind that whole uh, domestic violence incident and then that yeah. uh, basically foolishness almost? Yes, well, that that was reported. There was a – now, here in America, we have the National Enquirer and we have some other – little tabloid magazines or gossip magazines. Well, we have those as well in Japan. And one of the ones in Japan is named Shukan Bushin. Okay? And that magazine in Japan um, got with my ex, who unfortunately has had some, some problems or whatever, but that's no big deal. But anyway, they got with her, and she decided to basically make up a story that she was getting beat or and you supplied some it looks like some some selfie photos and and surprisingly a facebook message that talked about me uh stop fight well but the word fight in japan means competition so that's for me to stop the mma competition it had nothing to do with what the americans thought it was so these these uh americans i guess picked up and, and thought it was something big well then that spurned on the Japanese to kind of uh, the the tabloid magazine to kind of do it even more, and well, let's just say they did it. It came down here to the courts here, and they 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 failed to show up twice, and the case was dismissed because they even they had lack of evidence. So it got dismissed one time for them no showing up, and then it got dismissed another time for lack of evidence. It's completely done. So I mean, there's really nothing more to say about it than. You know they should look up the look it up themselves, and they see that there's nothing there. You know, but that magazine, I think everyone should have known that that was fake and, and fake news because there was there was no police report, there was no even any word saying from me. So I mean, this was was easy. So it's that's what it is, and that's what happens when you you make stories up. Crazy that uh, you think they can get away with it, or or trying to make some money off of it. It's uh... yes. Kind of sad what happens to some of these people and, and why they do the certain things that they do. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's 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 truly really remarkable. What I felt really even more sad about was, I mean, you can look at, you can see what's called now journalism, where they're actually no one's investigating anything and they're just churning up garbage. And you're the only one that's managed to 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 even ask me, you know, what is the other half of the story? What is what is? But no one else has bothered to even ask. So it's like they just turned up a lie and just kept it there. And you can look, go back through and look at all of those articles and stuff. You'll be laughing. You'll say, wow, this is, no one's bothered to ask him. I mean, one of them says that they sent me some emails and I never returned them. Well, this is very easy. This is great. Now you guys can say, okay, Tokyo reporter, let's see those emails. <laughs> let's see them. Since they're on the, let's see them because I don't have them and I guarantee you they never sent them. So let's see them. But they use anonymous stuff, you know, but now there, there's a court document that's publicly open, so you can go on public record and, 
and look at the results yourself and, and, and see the nonsense of it. I mean, some of the things I was accused of was uh, hypnotism, stalking. That's because I never saw her or anything in almost two years, so it was my spirit or something was jumping in, oogly-boogling her. And then we've also had the, uh, uh, I was, I forced her to use money in my bank account. I mean, that's because I paid for everything. I mean, it was just, these things just get, but hey, if that's the domestic violence you guys are going with, I mean, I mean, go, <laughs> go right on ahead and go with that. But that's, that's uh, far from uh, what I would think is a, from a serious, that's a, domestic violence is a very serious issue. And I think that they're just kind of, you know, making light of it and wanting to make money off of something that's kind of silly. Absolutely. Um, domestic violence is a huge, huge issue. And I feel like if you're going to, print something and you're going to do something where you're actually taking that story from Japan and covering it here, you may want to do some due diligence and, <laughs> and look at the case and be like, hypnotism, stalking, but you haven't seen him in years and, and saying that this person's text messaging you when there's no record of any text messages. It's pretty crazy that you, oh, you don't do any due diligence. Yeah, well, what's, what they did for it was, it was no not necessarily the text messaging, it was the fact that the text message they or the, the Facebook message made no sense for what um they were wanting to put it into. So I mean but but it was but see again in, in Japan no one picked no one thought that that was anything more than a seedless scandalous magazine doing wrong stuff. It was it just kinda got, got blown out of proportion, you know, these these little uh ones these wannabe reporters or whatever here in the States and it's it's wrong. You know, so it's it's it should have uh, really uh, taken uh, you know taken its, its its seed so to speak. It should have really, uh, I think, people here should have looked at it and said, okay, this is a one-sided issue, um, allegations, and there's we're using big words like this, and there's no even uh, a police report. You know, I mean, Facebook or or Photoshop photos. I mean, this is crazy. So we've got to just uh, you know just. And now that's we just got to leave it alone because in a court of law it's it's finished, you know, and and there's there's nothing there. So now we just got to keep moving on there, you know. I mean, but failing to show up in a court of law and, and even though it's denied in the first place, it's, I think it's pretty pretty nasty kind of to to play little judicial games with with stuff like that. I think that's pretty bad. Yeah, uh, definitely terrible. Now, with you, it's so interesting. Your life, you know, as far as what's going on now is just crazy. But just your whole story is just awesome, if you think about it. I mean, you were a great, great college football player, University of Washington. You won the Morris Award, which people will know it's basically the best lineman in college football. You were drafted by the Bears, played a little bit for the Vikings. But then, you know, the pro wrestling world kind of catches you. Japan kind of catches you. You become this just ginormous star in Japan. But how did you get into wrestling? I know you started in NWA Wildside, but how did you kind of get into the wrestling business after you left the football? I, you know, I, I was I played for the Minnesota Vikings, and this uh, this guy by the name of Mike Morris, he he gave me the the first my first start. So he went he went and said, you know, went around to to Ken the Strongman Patera, and and he said, listen, I think we got somebody here that can do something in pro wrestling. And so, uh, from 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 the pro wrestling and all the way down. So I met Ken, Ken Patera, and Ken Patera introduced me to everyone in WCW and in WWE. 
which is now, or WWF, which is now WWE. And I got my start down in Atlanta, Georgia. So, uh, you know, Ted Turner and those guys uh, gave me a big, big, uh, big time of jump up there. And, and Paul Warndorf was there at the time. The good old WCW PowerPoint. Yeah. What was it like uh, training there? You always hear like terrible stories of them, you know, running people ragged and stuff like that. Oh, it, it, that's exactly what it was. I mean, we had to do so many uh, body squats. I think it was hundreds of body squats, and then we had to run in that ring. And oh, it was so bad. I mean, I actually they made me puke, and what was so crazy is that I was doing these body squats. And they looked over and, and they said, okay, do you feel like you're going to throw up? And I said, yeah, I think I feel like I'm going to throw up. So I started looking around for the trash can. It was a very new from the new surrounding. I'm looking around for the trash can. I'm holding my mouth, and I cannot find the trash can. So as I'm looking, vomit is coming out of my hand onto the floor. I'm looking around. I'm looking around for the trash can. I don't see it. I step back in my vomit. I slip. I take a bump. My hand goes out. And the vomit comes out of my mouth like a big volcano. I'm throwing up all over myself. And they're just, oh, everybody's, oh, oh, man. So I immediately, obviously, had to get, uh, you know, showered back up and continue. And they said, hmm. you know, because of my perseverance, uh, that's one of the reasons why I ended up getting the job. Now, obviously, they get sold to the WWF. So WCW yeah. is kind of defunct. Yeah, you really only made, I guess, let's, I know that's how you want, basically you made one appearance on TV. It was you and Sam Greco. It was kind of just a brief appearance. So was there any kind of talks of Vince McMahon or WWE kind of taking your contract that you were in WSW and kind of bringing you over to them? Yes, absolutely. There was uh, big talks about that. And what ended up occurring is as I was in talks of waking, um, two things, uh, the or the, I think it was the FX, that's right, it was FX Tough Man Cult. And I ended up fighting William the Refrigerator Perry. And when I went against William the Refrigerator Perry, that's when Sam Greco introduced or, or showed off that video to K1, which is uh, K1's gone, but then, then K1 and Pride. So they picked up contract. And so that is, that's one of the reasons why I ended up going straight over there to Japan. So I ended up going to Japan, which was a great decision. And, uh, you know, I love it. And, uh, you know, now the rest is history. Yeah, you be, literally became such a star. I feel like they, from that refrigerator Perry fight, they must have saw, you know, your aggression, a little bit of bull rush mentality you yes. always showed in all your fights. But the charisma was off the charts. Was that something that kind of was always in you and, and kind of just came through? Or was that kind of just something that, I don't know, like it just came out of nowhere almost? Well, or did you did you know you had it? I've, I've been, um, you know, in, in the news, uh, so to speak, ever since I was in 70, uh, when, when I was 17 years of age. So uh, from 17 years of age, now I'm now. 44, getting ready to be 45 years of age, well, I have been in the news. So I'm used to being in the news. I'm used to being in the in the radio, this kind of thing. Um, when you take a look at what I did in college, and I did this one, uh, and it's, you can look for it now. It's, a, it's an old thrifty, the where is they now kind of video, but it's called Whammy at Miami. It's when I got a touchdown uh, when, we, when the University of Washington played the University of Miami. And I got a touchdown. And that's when 
pretty much is a basically uh, around when everything started really picking up for me, when I did a lot of television shows and when I did a lot of radio appearances in college. And then right afterwards, I did uh, Road Rules on MTV. So I've been I've been around for, for a little bit. You definitely made a huge name for yourself. And obviously you said going to Japan was something that was great. The money was great. They give you the contract, K-1, and you fought for pride. What was it like when, you know, you, you didn't have a, a ton of MMA experience, but they basically, pride was huge. If anybody was just not familiar, when pride was big, it's like way bigger than the UFC is. When UFC was big, it was just, they had the best fighters. They had huge, huge crowds. I mean, they had 90,000 people at a show. You know, they had 50,000. They had so many people were going to these pride shows, and you were one of the huge headliner acts, and they kind of just throw you out there. Was that a huge transition from you, going from not really knowing MMA to being thrown into the biggest MMA organization in the world at oh. that point? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's ridiculously crazy because, I mean, literally you walk right in from – a little bit of pro wrestling, they give you some training, and uh, which is your basic training, just like everybody goes through. And then after that, it was just just go, go and fight, you know. And, and I'd say, well, I, you know, Maurice Smith, he was my coach at the time, and he was like, well, you know, Bob needs uh, more time, he needs more training, and he needs you know a few years to do this to whatever. And they said, listen, he's a grown man, he's over twenty years of age. He's going to fight the best fighters. Whether you win or lose, you're a fight. It's called fighting, so you're going to go fight. See ya. And they just threw you in there. And <laughs> 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 the rest is history. I mean, you know, I ended up winning, uh, obviously, uh, a great deal of time, and, and I'm happy for that. <laughs> so, you know, I, I made, uh, what is it? The, I've got the world record from 2006 with over 54 million Japanese tuned in to watch me at one time fight and that's when I fought against another uh great uh, sumo wrestling uh legend there named uh, uh, uh what's his name uh I Akibono Akibono that's right Akibono I'm almost a almost cuz you know why I was thinking that I was going to say Yokozuna or whether I was going to say Akibono so yeah both of those uh, terms would apply yes uh, huge huge draw in Japan, I can't understate. I mean, like understate. I can't state that enough. I mean, it's just kind of amazing. It's almost kind of what Brock Lesnar did in the UFC, but this was in Japan with way bigger crowds and obviously 54 million people watching and things like that. But when you first started with Pride, I feel like there's a lot of connection with Lesnar what they did with UFC. It's almost like okay, this is a big guy. They know him from the pro wrestling world. Let's just throw him in there and see what he has. Do you kind of feel like you did need some more training and some more technique? Because, you know, you're going in there with these professional fighters that have excellent technique. Yes. You know what? I, you know, at the bottom line is, is is I don't believe that there's such thing called a lucky punch. I believe when you throw a punch, you're meant, that's meant to, to, to maim or to knock someone down. So, therefore, the only punch that would be lucky would be the one that you never throw at all. So, you know, the I don't go by anything, and, and you can see by my fights, you can throw the technique right out the window, you know, and it's, 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 I'm no caring whether whether you can see the haymaker coming or whether you're unable to see the jab. As long as it knocks you out, knocks you down, it's a win, it's a win, you go home. You know, I mean, a, a lot of times I think people get too carried away with this, oh, this is technical, this is no technical, this is this. 
I don't care, man. Just knock it, just throw it, knock it down. It's meant to be hit. It's meant to stop you. As long as it, as long as it accomplishes its goal, you're a fighter. And you beat, in Pride Fighting Championships, you beat Yamamoto, you beat Tamora, and uh, Tamora, who pretty big uh, name in Japan and a pretty, you know, legendary fighter and obviously a wrestler as well, but she kind of dismantled him quickly. And right almost off the, off the bat, they throw you in there with Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira, who was the Pride World Heavyweight Champion at that point, and arguably at that point, obviously before he ends up fighting Fedor, but at this point in time, he was the best fighter in the world. What were your thoughts going into that? Because that was a fight of the year, and it's a huge step up in competition for a guy that's only a few fights into his MMA career. Yes, yes, absolutely. So what I did is I just I thought to myself, well, hey, you can only fight. So this is so what you what I know how to do is what some would call uh, self defense. That's uh, one of the uh, one of the um, self defense one of the self defense. A master's is called, his name is Fred Maestro, and he also works with Doug Makaida of the History Channel Weapons That Kill, both great friends of mine. And they they often tell you, they often tell you that the bottom line is is in self defense. That's very different from fighting. So I was doing self defense. I took Nogueira and I slammed him on top of his head. Now if that was concrete, I'm quite telling you, I think I would have won that self-defense battle, but it, because it was MMA and that had a little to it in that ring a little bit, he was able to go through and see or compete another day, right? So mm-hmm. that, that's uh, my views on, on, on the fight. Very impressive. He almost won the title, and obviously it was a huge draw for Pride because you were a huge draw, and he was the champ, and... You know, his technique did win the day, and he, he did end up winning the match. But it's just right. kind of crazy that you only had a couple matches, and it's still shocking to me. It's like, wow, you're only a couple fights in. They put you in for the world title match. At that point, you're thinking, like, wow, they have just huge faith in me because I'm drawing numbers, I'm drawing crowd. And, and is at this point, is this kind of the, the height of, you know, of your popularity there? Because 2002, 2003, 2004, I mean, you're immensely popular over there. Right, so so that's when I started. That's when it started getting getting popular. So I would go in and, and I fought against Nogueira, and then right afterwards you'd see me fight against the K1 World Champion, which was Ernesto Hoost, and I knocked him out twice. So you know everyone's eyes are open to where you know if if when I fought Nogueira, that basically I would have won that fight had it been on a sturdier or harder surface, okay, or if that if. Really, you can see in that fight where I'm punching him and I stop and I say, listen, are you okay? You can see that in the fight. Um, and the bottom line is is that, you know, he did. He, he's a legend. He ended up coming back, which is great. Says says excellent things for Antonio Nogueira. Then I ended up fighting the K1 World Champ Grand Prix, uh, four-time Grand Prix winner, Ernesto Hoost, twice. And I'm the only one that's been able to do so in the entire history of the sports. And then you go through and you see – as far as me having the world record with over 54 million views in this in one time, 54 million views, and then when I was also in the movie The Longest Yard, which was the number one movie in the world in, uh, at that time. Well, I think I mean I think I know a little bit about being number one. So until somebody can really get past 54 million views, I don't think I really need to concern anything about uh, 
everyone remembers your great work in Longest Yard. So many great guys were, were in that movie. Such cool stuff. But I wanted to just ask you about Ernesto Hoos because that also, I mean, you go from Nogueira, who at that point was the best MMA fighter, then they throw you in there with the best kickboxer, and you do the bull rush, and you beat him twice, shockingly, because, you know, like you said, nobody beats him twice, and it's very few times that anybody beats him once. So as far as kind of getting ready and getting hyped for that match, he was totally shocked when you do that kind of bull rush technique and kind of just run at him. What were your, your thoughts uh, you know, as you're doing this and you're fighting him? You're just saying, you know, screw it. I'm just going to be as aggressive as possible, and I'm just going to take him out just head on. Yes, you know, I mean, it, it was one of the things that uh, that's all you can do in that ring. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm no going to be dancing around. I'm no one there to dance around. I'm no one there to, to make the fight last a long time. I'm no one there to get gassed out, which is, it definitely happens as, you know, as, as being a big guy and also in, in, the, in the sport of fighting. Everyone gets tired, and, and I, I, can some, I can get tired sometimes quickly because I'm going so fast. So you know what? That's okay as long as you – as long as I – as long as I accomplish my goal, which is simply to knock you right down. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking back, even looking back now, it's like, wow, you know, Ernesto, who's one of the greatest kickboxers of all time, and you have two wins against him. Pretty uh, damn impressive. You do win in 2005. They had a, a, green, a grand one, uh, excuse me, K1 Grand Prix in Hiroshima, Japan. You end up winning that. So, I mean, very successful career as, as far as the early 2000s into the mid-2000s in MMA and in kickboxing. They even at one point in K1 rumored to have signed Mike Tyson, and they wanted Mike Tyson to face you. Is that 100% true? Is that a little bit more rumor, a little bit more lore to it? Or is that actually a fact that they signed him and that he was supposed to fight you in K1? Absolutely a fact, 100% a fact. And actually, um, he showed up at one of my fights when I fought Timo. You can see uh, Mike Tyson kind of get in the ring there, and he says he wants to fight uh, Bob Sapp. And, you know, and, and I said, you know, hey, listen, they may call you Kid Dynamite, but you're messing me up. Put your views out. So, <laughs> that was, uh, so that was a big thing there. You never know if, if like, if they're just doing that kind of just, just drum up some more popularity. Because right. just adds to you, yeah, Tyson, and they're one of the greatest draws in boxing history. And even, obviously, in the pro wrestling world, whenever he showed up, he would obviously draw a huge number of help. So you never really know. Why did that fight never happen? Was that a visa issue with him? Was that because of his, you know, a little bit of a seedy past? Yeah, it, it, unfortunately, it was because, you know, they wanted to have the fight there in Japan, and uh, because of his uh, his past, I guess the J Japanese authorities would not let him in. So I guess they never wanted him, I guess, uh, even though he's obviously paid for his crimes, he's done his time, he's done all of that stuff. Well, I guess sometimes that, that, that criminal record or that past can kind of uh, prevent you from doing other things in the future, and that's what it did. It prevented him from, from us from getting that on in Japan. In K1 and in kickboxing, you would go on, you face Krokop, uh, Peter Urge, Mushasi, some of the best kickboxers. Were you ever intimidated at all that, you know, you're kind of a young guy in, in that kickboxing business, and these are guys that have been training kickboxing their whole life, and they're throwing you out there because you're the big draw, and it would be a great matchup, you versus anybody, you know, apparently is just a great matchup as far as drawing people. Did any of that ever intimidate you? The fact that they just kind of throw you out. So you you know I, I was I was I was nowhere even intimidated because I think at that time 
I was I had to I still had to go through a full schedule of pro wrestling, a full schedule of of kickbox training, a full schedule of MMA training, and also a full television schedule, a full uh, commercial schedule as well. So those things were all taking place internationally. And remember, I'm in Japan, so I had to learn the language and do all of that stuff at the same time. Crazy. It is kind of like if you think about it. Did you ever think in your life, as you're you know you're playing for the University of Washington, or even getting into the pro wrestling world, did you ever think you'd be such a huge star in Japan where you're getting in commercials, TV programs? various media. You had a CD release called Sap Time. I mean, do you ever think like, wow, I'm, be- I'm going to become a huge star in you know Japan of all places? You know, the Far East? Like, that ever crossed your mind? <laughs> Absolutely never, 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 never. Um, you know, it, but if you're coming to think of, if I was to stand up when I was in school, I, st- I stood up and I said I wanted to be a doctor. I never knew that in my life it would take me from college football, a Hall of Fame captain, and then to the to a third-round draft pick for the, you know, Chicago Bears and playing for the Minnesota Vikings to a professional fighting career and also doing a number one movie in the world. I had no idea then to get a world record. I had no idea I would go through and do those things. You know, I was, you know, I was going into college and just concentrating on graduating, so I just stayed there. I stayed, when I was in the University of Washington, I actually stayed for um, the entire time. I never left. So I was able to graduate early. So I graduated under the, the four years that was required. So most people don't know that. <laughs> hmm. Smart guy. And not a lot of uh, people can say that. That's for sure. And I feel like with you being such a big draw and so popular in Japan, being in New Japan Pro Wrestling in the early 2000s, winning the IWGP world title, which is one of the most prestigious world titles out there, and it's one of those world titles where it hasn't been sullied, and it's one of the legendary world titles that is held with such high regard and high esteem. When you beat Kintsugi, excuse me, Kensuke Sasaki for the IWGP title, is that a huge, huge moment for Bob Sapp? Oh, yes, absolutely, it sure is, because at that time, that's when they said, listen, do you know you're the first foreigner to do this? You're the first foreigner ever. So we've had Hulk Hogan over there. He's been able to, unable to get this. Rock's been unable to get it. You got this. We, you know, this is a real honor for, for us to be able to give it to you. And, and you're right. It's, it's actually like a solid jade trophy is, is, is what it is that they give to you. And, it, man, that thing was so heavy when I was bringing it back over here. It was, it was pretty crazy. But um, I, I have that here, and I'm looking at it now with honor for sure. <laughs> When they kind of presented to you, you know, that you're going to be the, the world champion, is that just kind of humbling to you? Do you think, like, wow, this is really cool? Did it, was it special to you? It, it, it was special, but at the time I had no idea the, the significance of it, you know, um, or the historical value of it. So, so it was later, a few years later, when they were uh, interviewing me and, and telling me about the historical uh, value that that uh, and the cultural value that I play in Japan, that they kind of went back and and, and told everything to me because most people don't understand that uh, that day on December thirty first of two thousand six that was called that was known in Japan for Kohaku that's like a big talent um, singing competition in Japan and they were they were number one in the ratings for forever over thirty years number one in the ratings and. Then you have Akebono and myself come over, and we're the first ones to knock them off out of 30 years. We're the first hmm. ones to do that. And so now the fighting day in Japan is December 31st. So that's the history around the most popular fighting day, MMA fighting day 
in Japan. So most of the, even the MMA young guys, all the little young haters and the one keyboard warriors and all of this stuff, they have no idea that that I and Akebono have our own holiday name <laughs> of December 31st. <laughs> And it's such a big day over there. I mean, the tradition is is just huge for it. Just if I could just rewind a little bit to to New Japan, because I just want to say your debut, you beat Nakanishi, and then when you beat Sasaki for the title, then you beat a huge name not only in New Japan, but a huge name now in the WWE, Shinsuke Nakamura. So, yes. I mean, you're knocking off some pretty big names so they must definitely have a lot of faith in you. And, and did you kind of know these guys, or, or do you know yeah. them better now? Oh, yeah. No, no, I, I, I know them all very well, and they all come to, come and talk to me, and we, we, we sit down there. We've all got little little funny stories about each other that, uh, that we were doing when we were going through the ranks and we were doing the pro wrestling and doing the MMA. So, you know, and it lets you know that, wow, you're, everything, every path always turns and and. And you get to see exactly how it is. You know, with Shinsuke Nakamura, I love the fact that he's over here in WWE and kicking butt and doing all that great stuff. I love it, you know. And, and I love the fact that I'm still over in Japan and able to, to make a living and, and, and travel around the world and, and to see the world, you know. And so I love it. So I think we're both uh, fulfilling our dreams. And it's interesting. You see the American dream from Japan with Shinsuke Nakamura, and you see uh, Japan American dream with with me. So it's it's really great. Definitely. You end up losing the title, but not really. You forfeited the title due to a loss in the MMA world to Fujita, who's obviously yes. a legendary MMA fighter and a legendary pro wrestler. What was the, the reason there? Why why in an MMA fight you lose? do you lose the New Japan title, which is pro wrestling? You know, it, it, was, it was really interesting. I think that was kind of to teach me a lesson because I was making a, a movie. I made Electra at that time with Jennifer Garner. Mm. Yep, and and I came back from that movie and I did that fight and they were and they were wanting to start a new organization called Romanex, and um, well I had no time to no, no even train for that fight, but at the same time, um, uh, wearing tennis shoes and getting kicked in the head with tennis shoes and having a, a solid bruise that matched Adidas in the back of your head. My trainer Ivan was a very Ivan Salaberry who went on to fight in UFC. But mm-hmm. he was very upset with that because he could no figure out exactly what the rules were with this new Romanex was getting kicked in the back of the head with, with shoes on. So they then decided to say, well, uh, that we'll just have him lose the pro wrestling title so that then everybody would kind of get a little confused with um, if this was pro wrestling or if this was what we call a shoot or a work fight or if this was a pro wrestling fight or a MMA match because – Again, that was a, a MMA organization they wanted to come in, but the rules, nobody quite knew what the rules were yet. Could you wear shoes and kick to the back of the head, or could you just no? So they kind of just gave it to the pro wrestling uh, and made it kind of that uh, convolutedness confusion that you have right there. It is pretty crazy with those soccer kicks because, I mean, they are lethal. I mean, talking about lethal, they are deadly. If you know, You're basically winding up and doing a soccer kick to somebody's head. I mean... That it, it obviously, you know, you know it all too well. It does not end well for the recipient of those soccer kicks, especially with shoes on. I mean, you know, it, it sometimes usually without shoes, it gives the the, the fighter another chance. It's like, okay, there's going to be some injury to my foot, you know, and I can feel it. But 
you know, when you have shoes on, you kind of have like a little layer of protection, you know, the shoelaces and the buttons and all those kind of holes. But, you know, so when through, he kicked me dead in the back of the head one that, it's pretty funny because <laughs> you can see the Adidas bruise on the back of my head at the end of the fight, and that's why my trainer, Alvin Salisbury, at the time was so upset. He was like, what, 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 what is this? You know, <laughs> so, but it was later, you know, you learned that. Hey, things can be a little wacky in Japan, but, you know, it's okay. That's just not how the world is. It's just a little wacky, you know, but um, that's uh, sometimes when you when you comment on things you don't really have an idea of, that's when you get in trouble. That's what we've uh, just actually seen over here with some of these smaller MMA uh, media that we were talking about. Around this time when you were the IWGP champion, there was a lot of rumors in the U.S. circulating. I mean, Obviously, word travels in the wrestling business, and people hear, like, oh, this guy is over huge in Japan. Look at the charisma. Look at the size. You know, look at his ability. Look what he could do, the athleticism. So I'm sure a lot of different organizations in the U.S. were taking notice, especially, like, oh, well, he won the title over there. Look how you know important of a figure he is over there. So there was rumors circulating around that WWE and TNA were definitely interested in you. Was there ever any thought of you going back, or was it one of those things where K1 wasn't going to allow it and you were making just too much money in Japan to even consider it? Yes. You know, at that time, I'm just, I'm just making way too much uh, money in Japan. And when they came, they came back at me twice, and, and uh, the first time I was making way too much money, too, I was too much uh, under contract with K1. And then when my contract ended, they offered me a contract again. That was TNA and WWE at the time. But unfortunately, um, I signed with that group. It was called Hustle out of Japan. So that was, I uh, was under contract then. And now, you know, I'm just loving, loving it far too much right now. I'm just bouncing around the world and enjoying, you know, and enjoying my life. So it kind of uh, came and, and went, and, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of still uh, buzzing around. <laughs> Yeah, you're always keeping busy. You're always doing stuff. And I feel like in Japan, especially with a guy like you, they'll they'll pay your right and you know, you'll have some fun kind of just traveling the world, so to speak. But with Hustle and with Japan and even in other organizations, they always kind of put you with the top guy. You're always viewed very well. I think that's important, too. Sometimes when you come to WWE, they try to humble you or they try to do something stupid with you. Um, you know, like it with Goldberg when he first came over, they try to put him in a wig and in a you know yellow gold dust wig, and just I don't know. They they always do kind of kind of like corny stuff. I know you're you you mm-hmm. can handle stuff like that. You're you know you you do a lot of stuff in the longest yard. You, you, you had a lot of fun stuff. You showed your charisma, showed your versatility. But I feel like in Japan they they take you very seriously, and they always put you with the top guys. Like in in Hustle, you'll be in there. Obviously, Takata, you'll be in the Takata's army, huge, huge megastar in Japan. Then they'll put you in with Kawada and Tenru and stuff like that. Was that important to you to kind of not only be a top taken very seriously and, and be given kind of that main event status? You know, I, I really I, I, I appreciate and, and, I, and I really love the fact that, uh, you know, when I, I'm, I'm going around the world or I'm in Japan, I am on uh, many, many, many times the, the main event. And um, not all the time, but the, but the majority of the time, I am on the main event. And I, I, I really appreciate that. So I work with anybody. I go through. And as long as we're there to have a wonderful time and, and enjoy it and just and everybody's having fun, I, I have I love getting in there with those legendary pro wrestlers or uh, legendary fighters, you know. And, you know, I love getting getting beat down by, by the – 
the fighters of, of tomorrow, you know. So I love getting beat down today by the fighters of tomorrow. So it, it, it's great. All Japan Pro Wrestling and even Wrestle 1, Gray Muda kind of brings you into each one when he was in charge of All Japan. He wanted you there. What are your kind of feelings on a guy like Muda, who's just a huge, huge legend in Japan and obviously very popular in the, in the States as well? Yes. Uh, you know, Muda and I, we go back all the way to the WCW days. So when Muda was at WCW, I met him and I said, hey, Muda, you're, I, I, I love your stuff, man. You're great. And I would see him and Muda looked at me and he said, who are you? And he just kept walking. I said, oh. Mm-hmm. I said, mm-hmm. Muda, look what you did to me back in the day. And we just we start cracking up all on. He's like, I remember <laughs> you. I remember you. This young boy, man, wow, yeah, you too stiff, man, too stiff. <laughs> so we really have a great time. <laughs> I love in the pro wrestling world when they do things where they kind of bring real life into it. So in all Japan, when you fought Ernesto Hoost in, in the wrestling match, I thought that was a pretty cool kind of like throwback, like, oh, let's let uh, Ernesto Hoost kind of get, get his win back, or so to speak. It, <laughs> it was kind of kind of an interesting way to, to book that. What were your, your thoughts on that? Because that's kind of uh, an interesting uh, pairing, especially considering he doesn't have pro wrestling experience. That's right. So what that was, again, uh, you know, it takes a while for you to really understand what the Japanese are saying and how things are working. So let's take a look at this. This was called, uh, I just beat uh, Ernesto two times, and then you saw me, I would come into that match. From the high atop the Tokyo Dome as a nice little floating angel. <laughs> and that floating angel was, a wish from the gods that I could beat Bob Sapp. So then I would come down there and Ernesto Luce would beat me in the pro wrestling match. <laughs> Which came true. <laughs> Very kind of cool stuff. I, I just love pro wrestling in that aspect where they, they do stuff like that. So much fun. When you're wrestling in the Tokyo Dome, obviously, you know, whether fighting or wrestling there, you, you've made some appearances. One of the meccas in the world, obviously here in the United States, it's probably MSG. Thing, you know, it's places like that where people hold high regard. In Japan, it's it's the Tokyo Dome. I mean, there are some other great arenas like this, like the Super Arena, stuff like that. But what are your thoughts on the Tokyo Dome in specific? You know, specifically wrestling in the Tokyo Dome or even fighting in Tokyo. Dome. I've fought in Tokyo Dome. I wrestled in Tokyo Dome, and it is amazing because I have fought and wrestled in front of over 100,000 people. And those people over there, that's when it gets really pumped and you can feel the energy coming through. Now, fighting, now, I've done that as well, but I've done that in college football and I've done that in pros where I've, where I've played in front of over 100,000 people and i played in the Orange Dome and the Rose Bowl and where the Green Packers played and then around the world. So I've traveled the U.S. and fought in the best arenas, played in the best arenas. Now, in Japan, it's a different feel. When I, when I fought Nogara and they had people jumping out of airplanes or helicopters, I'm sorry, to get their seats, that's what I'm talking about, how amazing that place is. Very special. And for people that don't know, is that a huge culture shock going from the United States and basically, like you said before, learning the language and living there? Is that just a gigantic culture shock, for, especially for somebody from the States to just kind of go and do it and just basically live in Japan and become this big star over there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it can definitely uh, get, you, get you where you, you'll, you'll, you'll get in a taxi, okay, and 
it's actually only speaks Japanese and everything around you is Japanese. So if you leave your, your place, at that time when I leave my hotel, you know, just for me to cross the street, it'd take me almost two to three hours. That's how many fans and everything would be packing around me. So I would have to go to McDonald's, take three hours, and then see if I could get to McDonald's and bring it back to the room within another three hours. So you're looking at almost six hours just to get something to eat, like a McDonald's. So it was incredible. No, Japan is majorly populated. It was incredible, and it still is to this day. So, you know, I mean, it's always going to be my home, and that's why it's all, you're always going to see some kind of uh, cultural class or lost in translation stuff that goes on with me in Japan. And if you are unable to really follow it or follow what I'm doing around the world, you know, you can kind of get lost in that, you know. Um, many people kind of look at my fight record and say, well, hey, look, he's losing fights and, you know, he's no significant to MMA. Well, hang on, guys. Let's, let's settle down. He's got the world record, okay? Settle down. You know, I'm no longer even in the United States <laughs> for making the, the, the money. So they kind of get a, a little bit lost with, with what, I, what I'm doing and how I should be doing things and telling me how to run the, the, the Bob the Beast business. <laughs> well, you can tell me, but, you know, advice only works if you listen. <laughs> with that as far as Japan and you saying you know the taxi and stuff you are you know a ginormous guy huge personality but as far as just kind of walking the streets and being in Japan is it a shock for those people to see you because I'm sure there's not a lot of monsters uh, roaming around you know real life you know Godzilla's roaming around <laughs> in Japan are they shocked to see you so, so they're 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 now used to when they when they see me. Oh, hey, Bob Sepp, because I've been there for so many years. But you know, um, the, the fascination is is with um, Bob the Beast Sepp going around. You know, um, as, but they 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 have in Japan. They they have big guys. They've got sumo. They've got big wrestlers and all of that stuff. So really, it it turns down to see you know. So they they have seen and, and have their big their big icons over there. It's just you know the the beast. <laughs> that, that one's when uh, I get a little unique. Now, you talked briefly, said the fight record, and obviously when you're kind of in your prime, the fight record is great. Over the last couple of years, you could kind of say it hasn't been. And other people, they always say, oh, it's just um, you became a quote-unquote money fighter, yep. and you're kind of you know kind of just doing it for the money, and you're just, you're just a draw for them, and they just bring you in, so they make a little money, you, know, yep. you get paid well. So... Yep. What is kind of your thoughts on that? What do you have to say, kind of, kind of the, the, the negative reaction to being a quote-unquote money fighter? It's, well, I mean, you know, see, I am a entertainer. The Beast is an entertainer. He comes in there, and so what that means is that my job is to put butts in the seats and have you guys come in there to watch. And I am paid for my job to do that. So this is exactly what I do now when I when the – for MMA, that goes in for as far as levels. So it's similar to a Mercedes-Benz. You know, you have uh, a luxury Mercedes-Benz. You have a you have a certain amount of budget. You can only you can only get the the high class, C class car. Okay, so if you can only afford the used car with a hundred thousand miles on it, well then you get the used Bob Sapp with a thousand losses on it. Okay. If you can, if you have the budget to afford the luxury Mercedes, then you get the Bob Sapp luxury Mercedes as best as he can be the luxury Mercedes. Okay, so 
you get those two options now. One of those, well, both of those, you get the beast. <laughs> Just one of them to get him <laughs> all the way. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, in, in, and I will always uh, uh, do uh, my job like that because that's just crazy. I mean, sometimes some of these fighters, they'll come out here and they will get brain damaged and get beaten up for a dollar and, and, and have uh, 50 views on YouTube. You know, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, doing that because if I will always say this, if you, if you were wanting to be a pure fighter and do that instead of for money and do that for the thrill of that, the sport and the thrill of fighting, they have other avenues upon which you can do all of those things in there. And, you know, you can volunteer your, your head to get bashed in all you want to, but I'm just, that's just nothing that I'm going to sign up for. So if you think about it from your perspective, it's just the entertainment value and it's a smart way to be that money fighter because you're going to be making a ton of money and not necessarily killing yourself like some of these MMA guys that are like a Chris Levin, for instance, um, who's now doing bare knuckle fighting. He's, he's not that he doesn't have money, but he's he's not um, you know he's not making beast type money. You know what I mean? He's not in not in the business of making a ton of money. Yeah, and, and, I know Chris shot. Yeah, and, I, and I know Chris very well. He's he's a great fighter, and he's one of the guys that that, that obviously laid down um, his, his, his career, and he's doing some stuff, I guess, a little differently than I would do it. So one thing that I can tell you is that when it comes to MMA, you really have to understand where you are at. So when you, when you go from the cover of Time Magazine, Wall Street Journal, over 54 million people watching, kickboxing, uh, world champion knocked him out twice, MMA world world guy could have, you know, destroyed him if it was on a hard surface, all of those things, there's no other place you're going to go. So, I mean, I have no idea why everybody's <laughs> okay. So, I can lose them all. It's okay. I can win them all. It's okay. I'm no, I don't think I'm going to get past the cover of Time Magazine or 54 million people, okay? Or if I want to do a movie, I don't think I'm going to get past the being in the number one movie. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. You know, I'm not going to get past being in the number one sport, which was, for me, which was college football in, in the NFL. So I'm not going to get past all those things. And, and no matter what anyone can say is that the fact is, is that those things have occurred, and I have done those things. So, I mean, you, you're never going to get, get – you know, take them back. <laughs> it's a very pro-wrestling mindset, too, you think about it. I mean, you're entertaining. You're doing it for the money. You don't want to kill yourself. You want to continue to be the draw. I mean, that's like uh, Ric Flair. I mean, he probably has more losses than wins, but he's one of the most popular professional wrestlers of all time. And, in, you know, in his career, he's made a ton of money. That's right. That's right. And so this, this is what we're, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, knowing to volunteer my, my body, you know, I'm, I'm in it to, to receive revenue and, and to have those, those revenues do things that help me, such as giving those water filters around the world and, and doing my uh, charitable in my foundations. And that's one thing that most people have no idea of. So, so the ones around the world, they have. They've always known that the money comes in, and then I go around the world, and it's going to be coming back out, whether it's going to be visiting the favelas in Brazil or whether I'm going to, to build homes and help everyone out in, in Guatemala, okay, or delivering water filters in Africa. They know where the money is going, and they see what I'm doing. So it's kind of self, self-perpetuating, you know. So it's, it's, it's always done it, and it, it will continue to do it. I can remember at one point where – I was giving the fighters and MMA, uh, uh, I'm sorry, fighters and pro wrestlers some money to do up with their bills 
and think guys like Jake the Snake Roberts. So if you can remember that uh, when I went and helped him out when he needed a little bit of a, he's always been been looking and giving back. Which is awesome because, you know, it's always good to give back maybe to, obviously, Uganda. Jake the Snake Roberts was great as well. And all the stuff you're doing, I mean, you're traveling the world. Gary Goodrich. Gary Goodrich. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. We we got I helped him out, you know. I mean, I've helped out Jake the Snake. So, I mean, I've done a lot of things that the majority of these guys, they, they've no even done, you know, the, any of these, a lot of these younger fighters of these UFC fighters, if you, you don't see them doing anything. And and you don't see a lot of these other uh, people that are all, you know, unfortunately, let, now this is going to be interesting. Well, let's see if, if all of those other MMA groups that were that wanted to write on something that was negative about me that had nothing to do with MMA, let's see if they're going to write what is going on now about the stuff in Uganda, about what, what's going on here in my career now. Now, now that all of that stuff, Let's see if they're really going to report on something that's that I've been doing that's positive instead of them wanting to, to find something negative and all of a sudden write down, which, you know, hey, it bit them in the butt. So, you know. Hmm. <laughs> it's that clickbait mentality, which is sad but true. It is becoming all too popular here. You know what I mean? Like they'll they'll post something ridiculous just to try to get some attention and get some click you know, yeah, if you will. Yes, and, and, and I'm, I was, I, you know, I, I, I wish that, you know, I mean, on one of them, on one of the sites, I think, speaking of the that DV, uh, uh, at one of the, the the sites, it was like, oh, this is no about, uh, this is a, this is no about Bob. This is about some poor girl getting her justice, and I was like, poor, probably, if you know, in the situation that they're at, compared to where I'm at now, I think so. You know, because I was the one taking care of everything. Well, it says the best in the court. I was using all my, forcing her to use the money in my bank account. I mean, how absurd of a, a, a I have no idea that could be considered a, a violence or even financial abuse of taking care of somebody and their children for so many years. But I guess that's what uh, wanted to come across. They, they wanted that to come across. So it was like, it's about this poor woman. And I was like, you know, uh, you have no idea what you're talking about, guys. Zero, you know? And it, it, was, it was really disappointing. So, unfortunately, kind of the world we live in now. A lot of fake news, a lot of uh, just silly journalism and people not doing due diligence and things like kind of just rewind back just to New Japan just for a second. Yes. You you returned in 2013. You're part of the big Wrestle Kingdom 7 card, you know, 8-man tag. I was just curious with now with New Japan becoming so popular and really getting popular in the States, they're even going to be running a joint show next April at MSG, which nobody has run MSG except for the WWE for the last 60-something years. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. Are there any thoughts or talks to kind of get back into New Japan pro wrestling, or do you you not really even think about that as far as getting back into the pro wrestling world? You know, I I, I was with pro wrestling for a while with IGF uh, and Noki Genome uh, Factor. Uh, so I was a federation. I was deaf. I was I was loving it, you know. And I still do some small pro wrestling shows on the side. But I what what I know like about uh, pro wrestling is really that just staying on. That's a really hard schedule. Staying on the road for so long. Okay, you know sometimes you, you're not even home for months and months at the time. And I mean you're just you're really it's a grind. Okay, 
it's going, it's doing the show, doing a house show, getting on a on a bus, and you're off to, going to the next city or town. And I mean, right after the show, you you know, you're you're you showered up, you got your little old bento, and you're eating, and you're eating on the on the on the bus, and you you sleep, and you go to the next one. And I mean, you got to do sometimes ten, fifteen shows in a row. That's a hard schedule. So that's a schedule that you know I no longer I felt was conducive to my lifestyle. So. You know, now they'll call me. I'll appear every once in a while, and if no, I'm no appearing. Maybe I'm flying around the world, and I'm helping out kids or, you know, helping out different uh, people that need it, or, you know, I'm going to be uh, sitting back in, in, in at home and relaxing a little bit. So I, I think that that's more of a, a schedule that I really wanted for myself, and I'm able to do that as long as I'm, uh, as long as the beast is in high demand. <laughs> <laughs> do you follow it anymore? Do you watch it anymore? Do you care for it? So I, I do watch it when I have an opportunity. Um, so, but do I uh, really actually go through there and, and like really say wow? You know, no, I'm really saying wow when I'm helping out uh, my friend uh, Takayama. You know, so that's where I'm over here to to help those guys out and it's kind of kind of go through. You know, and, and and I like watching the younger guys come through. And, and, and they all come through. Everybody's given me a, a tremendous amount of respect. And, and that's one thing, you know, it's like you live in two different worlds because uh, sometimes when you look, read about the keyboard warriors in, in that you see on the Internet, it's very different than what appears in my life, you know. So when I walk everywhere, you can, you can still see everybody giving me nice respect and everything. You know, it's not like everybody's coming, nobody's coming up to me and saying, oh, man, you're destroyed MMA. Nobody's doing that. No. So... That's, that's one thing that's great. I have a feeling those keyboard warriors are or would be immensely afraid of you if they <laughs> if they saw you in person. I mean, a six four guy would look literally the beast. I mean, they are tough behind the computers, but not so much in person. No, no, yeah, the, the, no, and, and usually you you never. That's the key thing. You never know who you're talking to behind those things. Sometimes those they're, they're ten years old. You know, I mean, come on. Some some of them they're they're fourteen. I mean, and so some of the the, the the journalism and stuff that I've seen is has been disastrously terrible. I mean, a lot of these guys now are, are actually literally just looking on Wikipedia and, and reading. Nobody's looking and then saying, "Let me see some, let me do any investigation." Nobody's allowing that to to open up to let, to open up some real uh, questions, right? They're just uh, just just eternally or or parroting. So you know, I mean, more power to them. <laughs> Crazy that they're not doing the due diligence, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Now, as far as you and kind of what you're doing today, as far as we talked a little bit about pro wrestling, but MMA, are you still training heavy? Or are you, you know, you're preparing yourself in case you get some phone calls? Yes, yes, I am. And I'm training real hard now. So um, you you look to see if the beast may have some <laughs> beast, beast, beast news. So as usual, I'm, I'm still training. Um, I'm not, not talking, I just have to do entertaining and in discussions with Italy to see, uh, they, they want to bring the beast down. So, uh, we're in discussions to see if, if I will be uh, going to Italy, uh, this year. Uh, so I look to see that one. And again, the GoFundMe, uh, campaign is on and, uh, we're just going to see where it goes. That's raising money from, for everybody around the world, uh, from, fighting to the people in, in Guatemala to even the people back in Uganda. So, uh, you know, everything's sprinkled into it, so you'll be able to check it out. And, and, and I think it's going to be a very, very uh, wonderful and, and great success. 
Now, as we wind it down here, you've had such a legendary career. You know, you think about Japan, one of the biggest draws in history. There's just so much you did over there, whether it was MMA, whether it was professional wrestling, whether it was kickboxing, you know, whether it's on TV, whether it's many of the things that you did over there. When you really kind of, you know, look back and you just think, I know the legacy is still going, so to say, but what do you think is your stamp? What do you think is your legacy? Because you did so much, you accomplished so much, but in so many different fields. Yes. So, I, you know, so that's why I say overall, I'm just a beast is an entertainer. So you can look through and you see through my career of all the things that I've done, that's all you can do is just basically put it in entertainment. Because when you start to talk about the accomplishments I've done, you get really, it's, there's many, many, right? So you can go from college football to the honors I've received there to the accolades I received in the, from the NFL because I actually got the second place arm wrestling in the NFL. And then I took a place show in Japan later about that same thing. I also was the spokesperson for the NFL in Japan when they came to Japan. I have also was one of the last foreigners to go to North Korea, and that was from Japan. So all of the things that you've seen or maybe have wished or have done, I've actually been able to do and encounter. And, you know, life, it's, it's about experience. I think too, too many times people will get wrapped up in saying, well, I've been here 20 years, I've been here 30 years. Well, uh, that's staying in one spot. That's a rock. So I like to roll. So he's <laughs> always like a little roll, rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is the biggest misconception about Bob Sapp? I think the biggest misconception is is that they really have a feeling that, you know, hey, this guy's doing so bad for MMA, he's done so bad, or he's, he's, he's nothing in MMA. And you can actually read that on some of the, the, these uh, posts and stuff, uh, some of these guys will say, and some of these MMA media small outlets will say, Bob is no significance and he, he has no relevance in MMA. But I do, and that's the reason why you're talking about me. Okay, so whether you're talking bad or you're talking good, you're talking about me, which is the entertainment factor, which is making me revenue. So I don't mind, you know, I can be Bob the loser, Bob the joke. <laughs> But you know what? The only one who's laughing, well, <laughs> and that's me. And that's in a faint laugh because I'm on my way to go deposit something. <laughs> it's all about the bank account. Now, you know, you were talking about the GoFundMe and, and plugging some stuff. What is the best way to find you? You know, just basically give us all your plugs, whether it's social media or whatnot, and please give us the uh, GoFundMe information as well. Yes, you'll see GoFundMe dive dive for cause you'll see bob does the staff dive for cause and you can also see uh other links you'll see about uh uh the jay jay worker a teacher who is a uh, in response to jay pro wrestler come help the jay pro wrestler or come help out the pro wrestler takiyama you'll see that on there as well so you'll see several nice uh bob the beat staff go fund me uh one thing that you can always follow which is that what's going on in uganda and that's the nightmare at serena the Nightmare at Serena or Hotel Nightmare, and all of those are seen on Facebook or right on head or on YouTube. It's got over 2 million views already on YouTube. Go ahead and check it out. I mean, these things are awesome. And, you know, just keep plugging away. And so you can, uh, sometimes you can reach me on Facebook, and that's the one with the, well, you always see me, Bob the Beast staff, but you'll see something for the Nightmare on Serena, or you will see me walking with kids of Uganda. 
Now, if you go to that official Bob Sapp page, that's no longer by me at all. And that's by, uh, well, we already know that's by somebody different. But you can see on there a list of all the top negative kind of really never knew any of their work. So you can go right over there and you look at all those, that media that's up there. And anybody that picked up that domestic violence stuff, you can look at that and say, well, these are the ones that turn are journalists. And you can see it's a one-sided issue. And now nobody's seen anything except for, I, I know you've seen the court record and everybody else here in the state of Washington. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, you know, I think, uh, I think we're pretty safe to say that uh, we'll go with the, the court of law on this when they say zero and everything's false and, and all of that great stuff. So, yeah, we're going to go ahead and leave it. And there's nothing else really to say about it other than that. Awesome. Great stuff. Well, this has been a huge pleasure, huge honor to get you on. What a career. I mean, what a, what a big legacy you had. So thank you so much for giving us all this time tonight. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.